says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with pangs, with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope still for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we shall pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, we, now, now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For we, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God, thank you so very much for the beautiful and wonderful reminders that you are God and you are God alone and that you are on your throne and that it, and, and that everything revolves around your throne God around your reign around your rule God we bow to you this morning and we recognize that your ways are higher than ours your wisdom is greater than ours and so in these next few moments Lord may you open our ears may you soften our hearts May you captivate our minds, God. We pray against every distraction of mind to try to steal your word from our hearts today. And God, we ask that you would be glorified, that we would not just hear, but that we would respond in faith and do what you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will um, be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you are able to follow along in the introduction of the message. Uh, we want to be sure that you have the opportunity to take notes. And as always, as a reminder, you are a disciple of Jesus. And so the way that you help someone else grow in their faith is by you helping them to learn God's word. And so a simple way to do that is to just go with them through what you're learning on Sunday mornings. Just sit down with someone, have coffee, have breakfast, have lunch, dinner, whatever. Just sit down and just go over what you're learning it will help you and it will help them as well and so we are continuing in our foundations of faith series and today I want to talk about looking forward is what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying so if you look at your outline as we look around our world there can be no question that something is broken we look around our world. I mean, if you think about things, if you look at healthcare, we know that the healthcare system is broken, right? There's 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 something wrong, right? Our immigration system is broken. There's something wrong, right? There's something not right. I this morning I have a I have a bad habit when um 
I wake up, I grab my phone. That's a bad habit, bad habit, all right? Don't do that, all right? So I do that, and I notice that there's a Twitter notification on there from Ed Stetzer. He's a, um, he's a writer for Christianity um, Today. He's, you know, he, he's a writer for Lifeway, and um, on his tweet, he just says something to the effect of um, that he has just gotten to his phone or just gotten to the ability to look at Twitter, and he recognized on his news feed something, and it was about Rachel Held. Um, I can't remember her last name right now, but anyway, he was saying, prayers for her so I clicked on her name and when I clicked on her name because I saw it somewhere else that she needed prayer and the saddest situation occurred is that she went into the hospital a few days ago and when she went to the hospital for a procedure she goes to the hospital for a procedure all of a sudden her body starts responding in some way that's really weird it moves from there to where they have to induce her into a coma she's in a coma for days they're trying to get the swelling down in her brain to um, to stop swelling um, and then after a couple of days they finally go ahead and they remove the coma medication and they start to try to revive her she doesn't wake up the way that she should have she's having seizures through Throughout this time and sadly the story ends with she dies and this family is now stuck they went for a procedure that wasn't supposed to turn out like that and it did why is that it is because we live in a world that is broken we live in a world where things just are not perfect they will never be perfect I think you guys can agree um, as growing up as kids I know that we used to say things like it's not fair and the famous response of any wise parent is what life is not fair Right? It's just the truth. Life is not fair. And usually when we're telling our child that, it's over something like cake or a toy or something dumb or insignificant. But what about when it's when your spouse passes away? What, what about when it's when something traumatic happens? You lose a child. You bury your child that should be burying you. Those are indications that what? That we live in a broken world. The human experience, your outline says, is filled with times of sorrow and suffering. As a result of this, many reject the idea of the existence of the God of the Bible because it the Bible declares him as good not just doing good but that God is good he is morally good that he is love not just that he loves but that he is love the essence of love that he is holy not just that his actions are a certain way but he is holy totally separate totally different than any of us God is righteous right he is righteous in himself he doesn't just do righteous things but he is righteous in himself and he is not solely powerful but he is all-powerful and this is where the rejection comes in. He either allows, and some would even argue, that he even ordains the evil in our world, but he surely doesn't stop it. And so they say, hey, if this God is so big, the God that you believe in, if this God is so powerful, why is it that he allows evil to happen? Why is it that he doesn't answer every prayer? And you know what the reality is? This is not exclusive to the world. This is also within the church. There are plenty of Christian atheists is what I call them. They go to church, but they really don't trust God. They really don't believe God. They really don't trust what the Word of God says about Him because they're not sure if He's trustworthy. And I want you to know the Apostle Paul is helping us to understand the trustworthiness of God. And he points us to what? To looking ahead. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. Through suffering and brokenness, God is preparing us for the glory He prepared for us. I want you to think about that, about that. Through suffering and brokenness, God is preparing us for the glory he prepared for us. 
And so for those of us that are children of God, there is glory that is prepared for us. There is a future that is prepared for us. And one of the things that is an issue in our life today, especially for us, because we do not understand um, persecution. We don't understand what it is to suffer the way that the, the people during Bible times suffered. And so we have a very low view of eternity. And what I mean by that is none of us are really looking forward to eternity the way that we should. Right? We look forward to going to heaven. We look forward to being with Jesus. We feel secure in that sometimes or some of us. But the reality is that we should have a different thought when it comes to the life after. Not just now that this is not the end. For some of us, we think and we feel and we live and we act like this is the end. Like, this is all that's ever going to be. Like, this is all. So we put all of our eggs in this basket of this time that we're here, and it creates in us no desire. We're not looking forward to being in glory. Like, when we do communion and we talk about, you know, the time where there's no more suffering, where there's no more heartache, where there's no more pain. Well, if you're not in pain, if you're not suffering, if you're not having heartache at the moment, guess what? You're like, okay, that sounds good. But it's not stirring in your heart like, man, there is a day that comes that I never have to worry about getting that call from the doctor. I never have to worry about experiencing that closure of a company. I never have to worry about not having enough money. I never have to worry about any of those things that come with this life and the suffering. So what I want you to understand is this, is that through suffering and brokenness, God is preparing us for the glory he prepared for us. God never wastes hardship. Okay, I guess I'm going to take this watch off right now because she's trying to search the web and I shouldn't be doing that, right? Ah, that's a good thing. So can you hold this, please? Thank you, sir. So uh, ultimately, we have to realize God does not waste a hardship. He doesn't waste a trial. He doesn't waste a difficult moment in our lives. We have to be willing to trust what his word says. And so the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we can be broken, but hopeful. We can be broken but hopeful. And I didn't write hopeful on purpose because sometimes when people say, yeah, I'm hopeful, it sounds so weak, right? Yeah, I'm hopeful. It's, it's like there's no strength behind that, right? I'm talking about being hopeful. That's what I think the word means in and of itself anyway, spelled the correct way, is that you are full of hope, right? But we can be broken and yet we can remain hopeful. Full. We can remain filled with hope, which is why the Apostle Paul writes to these particular, um, the, the church in Rome, to help them to understand some stuff. And so what does he say in verse 1? I love this, verse 1, I mean verse 18. He says, for I consider, so that, that word considering, just think for a moment, he is contemplating, he is thinking about this, he is saying, man, I consider that the present, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That the, that the suffering of this present time. And remember what I said earlier. Up until this point, the Apostle Paul hasn't spoken about any particular suffering, right? It's, it's suffering in general. It's just a general word for suffering, for hardship, for difficulty in life. And what Paul says is that he has contemplated it. He has thought about it. He has run it through his mind. And what he has done is he has come to understand that what I'm going through now doesn't compare. It is not worthy of comparison with what is coming in the future. This is Paul encouraging the church and saying, hey, the redemption that you have in Christ is connected to a future hope. It is connected to a future hope. 
And that hope is so great. Listen, I don't care. I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter how great the suffering is that you're going through. It doesn't matter how great the hardship is that you may be facing. And you know what? Some of you are like, I'm not facing anything. Okay, one day you will. And I hope you never experience a hardship that shakes your faith. Like I'm sure the husband of Rachel is shaken, is being rocked in such a deep way. Because, he, I mean, just the reality is I remember being in the hospital. And a man of faith, I, I consider myself to be a man of faith. I remember being with my wife. My wife is giving birth to my daughter. And I remember being there and I'm in there and I'm praying. Listen, I'm praying for my wife as, as she's going through labor and delivery. And then all of a sudden I start to realize that there's something wrong in the room because my wife does not stop bleeding. And so what do I start to do? Well, I'm a man of faith. So you know what men of faith do? They pray. So you know what I did? I start praying. I don't just start praying. I start speaking in tongues, right? I'm like going in the Holy Ghost. Like, God, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for intervention. I'm praying that you do something in my wife's life. And I remember sitting there, and they were like, listen, unfortunately, we're going to have to rush her into emergency surgery. They took her into a surgery. For five hours, my wife is away from me, and I'm in another room, and she's going through this surgery. And what am I contemplating when I'm over in this room? Okay, I went from praying for her, speaking in tongues over her, and I'm like, God, why? Like, God, is she going to live, right? I'm like thinking to myself, I mean, my daughter's sitting right here. And so I'm thinking to myself at that moment, I'm like, man, if my wife dies as a result of her birth, how am I going to relate with her? Am I like going to blame her? I mean, these are all the things that are going through my mind. I'm thinking through this stuff, right? But here's what I want you to know is that no matter what the turnout is of the situation, the suffering is what Paul says are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that you will face, this is a word that you can come back to and say, wait a second, the suffering of this present age. See, I was watching the movie The Apostle Paul the other day. How many of y'all seen the movie The Apostle Paul? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie. All right, a lot of you need to see the movie. Okay, so spoiler alert. I'm just going to let you know. Um, this, this, is, uh, this is all I'm going to tell you about this, and I've told you this because most of this stuff in history anyway. But when I watched the movie, I was, it's like, you know, when you read the Bible, sometimes it's so hard, right, to actually imagine, right? I remember being a little kid, and, you know, they were always like, look, you got to read the Bible, read books, so that way you can actually open your imagination. In our day, everything is already imaged for us, so we don't have to imagine anything, right? So people go, you know, you want to go and see about what Noah's Ark was like, go see the movie Noah. It's pretty epic, and it's pretty intense, right? I'm not saying I agree with everything in the movie. What I'm saying is there are certain things that we're able to reenact today that, you know, right now in our, in our present concepts, we don't understand them. When we read the Bible, I want you to know this. I, I can assure you of this. None of us reads the Bible. We're really in the context of what's happening. None of us reads it like that. None of us reads it thinking like the Apostle Paul was in prison, like he could barely stand up straight because he had been beaten so many times. And, and, and as he's communicating with Luke and he's sharing words to Luke and he's giving him the words that we read today and we're encouraged by, like none of us really grasp that. None of us really grasp that Nero was terrible. And that Christians were literally being put up on the, on the sides, on posts, and they were being burned and, and throughout, his, throughout his kingdom there. That, that Christians were so persecuted that they were hiding away so that way they weren't. They weren't arguing about stupid theology questions. They were worried about living the next day. They were worried about how does this help me? And looking forward to eternity was the way that it was. We over here, we're arguing about dumb stuff. We're arguing about things that are dividing us. Listen, that church wasn't worried about all this other stuff that we're worried about today not like that they're worried about real stuff like real suffering real hardship things that really cost your life 
They were struggling with, man, do we, do we rebel? Do we rise up? Do we come against this emperor? Or what do we do? Do we humble ourselves? And so reading that book helped me to understand what Paul was, or, or watching that movie helped me to see what Paul was saying. The present sufferings of this age, the present sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. And so what does Paul show us? Paul shows us what? In the midst of all of this, Nero's circus, in the midst of um, Christians being burned at the stake, in the midst of all of that, Paul is saying, the present sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glorious to come. Why does he say that? Because suffering is not our end, it is only our present. Suffering is not our end, it is only our present. Some of us live as though our present is going to be forever. No, it's just now. It's just for the moment. It is a fleeting time in which we live where we will experience suffering. But we know that the glory that is to come is going to be great. Creation is broken. And so what does it say in verse 19? It says, for the earnest expectation or the earnest hope of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. In other words, creation is suffering right now because of man. And it continues to be like that, right? Because Adam decided to eat of the fruit, right? Because he decided to go ahead and eat of the fruit. Creation, if you think about it, go back and read it. You don't have to do it right now. When you go read Genesis chapter 3, and you're going to notice the, the creation suffers because of Adam. Are you here? Creation didn't do anything, right? They didn't. Well, the, the creation didn't do anything. There was nothing. But, the, but creation was subjected by God to futility. Creation doesn't, doesn't produce the way that God originally intended. It's, it's different. It's broken. And so it goes on to tell us what? It says, for the creation but was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so notice what he says here. He says what in verse 19? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let me, let, me, let me give you a verse. You can write this verse down because I think that this is helpful. Creation is broken, right? And, and as a result of the fall, it waits in hope for the revelation of the sons of God. So Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, and I preached you that just recently. And so it says this, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what is creation waiting for? Creation is literally waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's waiting for. It's waiting for the coming, the next coming of Christ. Creation is waiting for the next coming of Christ. Creation isn't getting comfortable. Are you here? Hello? Creation isn't waiting for a Savior to come. And Anyway, I, I was going to say the Green New Deal. I, I'm, but anyway, I, I need you to understand. Creation is not waiting for that Savior. Creation is waiting for the Savior. It is waiting for the Savior that is going to bring deliverance. That is what creation is waiting for. That's what the scriptures tell us. And so just like creation, you and I may be broken. We may even be suffering. But here's the thing. You and I cannot lose hope. We must not lose hope. Why? We must ask God to fill us with hope so that way we can go ahead and we can share the hope with the hopeless. There's a world out there that is in desperate need of help. There's a world out there, listen, and that's the reason why the world is looking for saviors and all kind of functional things and, and, and all kind of people and situations like that. It is a world that is looking for that, a world that is looking for a savior. They're looking for deliverance. That's what they're looking for. 
I want you to know deliverance only comes from one, and that's Jesus. Creation knows that. We have to know that. Because when we know that, you know what we do? We share that. When we know that there is only hope in one, that is what we begin to share. That is what we share with this world, and we bring them hope. The second thing, I'll ask you to repeat after me, is this. Say, we can learn to live through brokenness. We can learn to live through brokenness. Verse 22 to verse 27. I'll read it and then we'll unpack it. It says, for we know that the whole creation, now listen to this, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And so what do we see? We see that creation is making noises, right? You want to know what most of these natural disasters are? You know what? This is where they are, right here. It's creation groaning. It's creation saying, hey, it's labor pains. It's creation that is communicating and saying, hey, Christ is coming. It is, it is, it is actually ushering in the return of Jesus. That's what creation is doing. And so we see these things, but it says creation groans. But then what does it also say? It says not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So creation groans, right? We are groaning. It goes on to say, it says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we, for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what do we see clearly? We see clearly that brokenness is a shared experience. Creation groans, we groan, and the spirit groans. So we groan, why? We groan in what? In waiting. As we're waiting, we're groaning. Creation is groaning in hope because it knows its redemption comes when Jesus returns. And then the Holy Spirit groans with purpose. You see, there's a reason we're all groaning. Creation and man are fallen. The Holy Spirit is the lifter. Are you here? Creation and man are fallen. And so we need someone to lift us up. And what does Paul say? Paul tells us that we have been saved with a hope. What is the hope? The hope is that day when there was no more groaning. Are you here? The hope is that day where there is no more pain, where there is no more sorrow, where there is no more sickness, disease. There is no more pain and discomfort. There is no more depression or discouragement. There is no more anxiety and fear. That, that, that is what we are. We are struggling with while we're here in this lifetime. And so we struggle with these things, but we've been saved in a hope. And so we have to learn to do what? To live through brokenness. How do we do that? We must learn to live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit in this broken world. What does it mean to do that? It means that we learn to depend on God's work in our lives. It means that we learn to depend on him to move and to strengthen us while we're going through difficulty. That, listen, in the midst of difficulty, I still have the ability to trust him. Why? Because he is at work. Listen. In our weakness, what does the scripture say? What does it say? Look at it. He says here, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What is our weakness that Paul is talking about here? 
He's talking about our inability to know what to pray for when we're suffering. Let me ask you a question. When you're going through hardship, do you always know what to pray for? Right? When you, I mean, I don't know about you, but you, this is, this, as a matter of fact, this is how you know you're really going through hardship. When you don't know what to pray anymore. That, that, if you want to know if you're going through hardship, you want to know if you're going through difficulty, you simply have to ask yourself, man, do I even know what to pray? Like, when I go to pray, like, do, I, do, do the words just come out? Is it just flowing? See, sometimes that's an indication, man, you're really going through something. Because you don't have the wherewithal to do what? To even pray. You, you know what God's will is because you know what the Bible says, but something is disconnecting you. And that's what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit comes to the rescue. Are you here? The Holy Spirit comes to our aid. That's what it's saying. He comes to our aid and he does what? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit does a few things. But here's what I want you to understand is that you need to learn how to worshipfully surrender. How do we do that? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going through a class right now. Y'all keep praying for me more so pray for my wife because it's like I'm absent all the time because I'm always doing some kind of report or something like that. But in one of my classes that I'm doing on the, on the poetic books, one of the things that our professor was saying in his lecture is he was saying that the book of Psalms is a book that shows the whole of the Christian experience. The whole of the Christian experience. And so you want me to give you a practical way to learn how to suffer and to suffer with hope? Go through the book of Psalms. You're suffering, start in chapter 1, go all the way to 150. Listen, the book of Psalms is the longest book. I think there's a reason for that. Are you here? You can't just read it quick. And if you want to see how long it is, go to just 119. You'll see how long 119 by itself is. Right? And so here's what happens. The reason why I tell you to do that is because, listen, are you ever in doubt? Guess what? Psalmists were in doubt. Are you ever in fear? The psalmists were in fear. Are you ever a little jealous, a little bit envious, a little bit upset because you see wicked people getting stuff that you think that you should be getting? Ever have that happen? It's in the book of Psalms as well. Right? You ever want to choke somebody, lay hands on them? It was in the book of Psalms as well. I'm just saying, like, you, anything that you ever felt, it's in the book of Psalms. So you want to know how you surrender to God? You go into the book of Psalms. You don't know what to pray? Go into the book of Psalms. God, speak to me. Help me to walk through this experience. Help me to understand what I'm going through. Help me to know how to trust you. And let me know that it's okay for me to doubt. It's okay for me to fear. It's okay for me to struggle. It's okay for me to go through the ups and downs of emotions. I don't always have to walk on clouds because ain't nobody walking on clouds anyway. Hello. But I can go through all of that. And it's not disrespectful. It's not dishonoring. It's not minimizing you. It's simply being human. Because you know what Paul says? He says we're human. He says we get to a point we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to ask. But you know what he says? He says a couple of things. You can write these down if you're taking notes. First of all, the Holy Spirit prays for us. I want you to notice it didn't say the Holy Spirit prays through us. It said the Holy Spirit prays for us. He's not, God is not listening to me. Listen now. God is not asking you to groan. Hello, you're already groaning. That'll sink in for some of y'all later. He's not asking you to go into prayer and start groaning and all that kind of stuff. Listen, go and weep. Go and be broken. If you groan, that's all good. What I'm saying is he didn't say, he, as a matter of fact, he said with groanings that are unutterable, right? Gro groanings that you can't even utter. You can't, you can't even utter the things that the Spirit is communicating. But God's Spirit intercedes for us. So what does he do? He prays for us. He gives us peace in the moment. He fills us with hope for the future. And he leads us as his sons to trust what he is doing. I'll say it again. He prays for us. He gives us peace in the moment. He, he, he fills us with hope for the future. And he leads us as his sons to trust what he is doing, which brings us to our third point. Say this with me. We can trust, we can trust. God is addressed, addressed and is amending our brokenness. 
We can trust that God has addressed and is amending our brokenness. Verse 28 to verse 30. And these three verses here, you could break these three verses down just like this. God is at work, verse 28. Verse 29, God is working toward a specific goal. And verse 30, God will accomplish his work. That is what you could break these three verses down to say. We can go home. We can leave it like that. Right? I won't do that to you. But you could do that. Because that's what these verses are saying. Paul is saying you're suffering, then this is the go-to verse, right? The go-to verse is all things work together. And I love how one translation says it. It says it like this. It says, God works all things together. God works all things. He is working all things out for your good. He didn't say it was going to feel good all the time. Hello? But he said it's for your good. What did I say earlier? God doesn't waste hardship. God doesn't waste difficulty. God doesn't waste trials in our lives. It is for our good, whether we like it or not, whether we enjoy it or not, whether we're feeling it or not. It doesn't matter. Listen, none of us are feeling it, right? Hebrews chapter 12, nobody likes discipline. And, and none of us like discipline, but all of us like results. Hello? Come on now. Y'all know you seen that person with that six-pack abs, and they looking all tight and ripped. You're like, I want that body, but you ain't willing to do that work. <laughs> We want the results, right? We're waiting for that pill that just says pop it and we're good to go, right? It ain't ain't coming, y'all. I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know that there's a key. Close your mouth. Anyway, but hey. (laughs) Exercise, right? Work hard, right? It, It requires some stuff. But all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Now check it out. And are called according to his purpose. It's so important that you grasp that. That are called according to his purpose. You know why? Because in the next verse, you know, Paul's going to tell you what that purpose is. It's important that you read your Bible, right, that you read it in its context because it says those whom God foreknew, he predestined, right, predestined to what? That's the question. What did he predestine to? He predestined them to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ, right, that Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren. So here's the thing I want you to understand about this second verse here. The question in this second verse isn't does God foreknow? The Bible is clear. God foreknows all things. Are you here? The the question is not, does God predestine? The Bible is clear, God predestines. Now listen, you got to get your head wrapped around that, and I got to share this with you, because I think the problem with us is that we bring God down to our level, and we're trying to like totally understand every single thing that he does, and I believe firmly that we're supposed to pull back, and we're supposed to just be like, wow. Wow, God God does this, right? I was sitting in my room on Thursday night. This is what I mean by that. I was sitting in my room Thursday night, and I was as I was um, finishing up the message, and then, you know, Elaine came in the room, and she knocked on the door, and she was like, hey, and she was like, oh, I'm sorry, because I was like gone. I was like, I was like somewhere else in the room, and, you know, I, I believe that study of Scripture is supposed to be worship, right? It's not just supposed to be, I understand what I'm saying. Like when you study the Bible, what should be happening is worship should be occurring because as God is showing you who he is, something should be stirring inside of you that says, man, that's my God. Like this is who God is. And so at that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm meditating. I'm thinking to myself, you know, we, we talk about God's foreknowledge, but is, is, is it really foreknowledge or is it just present knowledge for God? Now, just think about that with me for a moment. We think about, okay, God was there in the past, but I want you to get this. The future is history to God. Now, y'all didn't get that. The future is history to God, right? The present is the past to God. 
You see, you and I, we are, and you, you, you got to get this when you're reading the scriptures. God is trying to communicate with finite beings. So the language is communicating to us so we can kind of grasp, but it's not so we can grasp it and be like, I got it. It's so we can grasp it and be like, I don't understand it, but you're amazing, right? Like, what do you mean by that? Like, you're here, but you're there. Like, you were here. Like, how does he know the end from the beginning? Because he's already at the end. Are you here? Are y'all going get so anyway, that's what I was thinking when my wife walked in the room. I'm like, man, we're, we're talking about foreknowledge and predestination, all these big words. But can I tell you something? Here is the real question in the text. The real question in the text is, are you becoming more like Jesus? That's the real text. It's not about what God does. It's about are you seeing God's work in you? That's the question. Because those whom God foreknew, he predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed, to morph, to be changed internally to the image, the icon. To be changed to the image of his son. Are you following Jesus? That is the question. Because if your suffering is not leading you to become more like Christ, there's a disconnect. There's a problem because all things work together for the good. And what is the good? It's that you and I become more like Jesus. And those who God predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. Those who justified, he glorified. What is that telling us? That's telling us God's work is going to be accomplished. There's no question in it. God, listen, God is not, listen, God is not a man that he's going to go halfway with you and be like, you know what, I'm leaving you now. And when we, deal, when we deal with the rest of Romans 8, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about clearly. But here's the thing. God calls us into a relationship with him, and he calls us with a purpose, and that is, and when I say us, I need you to understand as well who God is writing to. He is writing again to us as his sons and his daughters, encouraging our faith, and in that moment, the faith of those who are being persecuted, those who are being tried in their faith, those who are going through it, and God is saying, listen, you need to grasp this, and next, and, and, and next week we're going to deal with the rest of the text. But what Paul, what Paul is communicating is, listen, God's work is durable. You see, it's so easy for us to get caught up on the big words, and we can just as easily miss the bigger idea. God's work is sure. Hello. God's work is sure. His work is secure. And it is what we can look forward to with hope in a broken world, is it not? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, that all things are working together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God foreknew. There's, listen, there's nothing happening in your life. There's nothing. Listen, you don't know what's about to happen in your life. God is not shocked. He's not like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Huh. There's never a moment with God like that. God is like, I'm working all things out together for your good, to conform you to my will. And so my closing question is this, what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? That's the title of the message, looking forward. What are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to being more like Jesus? Is that what you're looking forward to? Like, God, I want to be more like you. Because for us right now, that's what we should be looking forward to, to being more like Christ. That's what we should be looking forward to. Or, or are you looking forward to an eternity with Jesus? Are you looking forward to that, that place of eternity, that place where you are with him for eternity? Are you looking for, Because we should be looking forward to that as well. We should be looking forward to being like Christ now. We should also be looking forward to being with Christ forever. And then some of you, maybe you're just looking forward to the suffering stopping, to the end of the suffering. Maybe that's you. And you know what? God's grace is here to encourage your faith. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Let's humble our hearts before God. I normally, we normally end with a prayer, with a time of prayer, but <clears throat> this morning, 
as you, as you bow your heads and as you bow your heart before the Lord, I just want to encourage your faith this morning. And so I don't know, you may, you may have never heard this song, but it's one that is encouraging to me.